How y'all doing? How y'all doing? This is Alvin. We're trying success here on the Old Fashioned Health Network. Good health inside and out. We have an amazing show today. I have Coach D Speaks. He's going to speak to us today, give us some motivational words. So, Coach, tell the people a little bit about yourself, what you do, and who you are. Hey, Coach Alvin. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you it. Me, Coach, um, I'm good with it. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, Coach D Speaks is my name. Um, my, my actual name is Demetrius. Um, I am a health professor, sports psychology professor. Um, I've been teaching for 17 years. I have a wife. I have uh, two kids, one in college, one in high school. Um, what got me started um, kind of on this journey was, um, you know, I, I coach and some of my athletes are always like, coach, you should be on TikTok, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I'm 47 years old, you know, and then they're like, well, the videos that you put on Instagram, because I would always put these funny videos about my family on Instagram. They're like, um, those videos would do well on TikTok. And so I never really got onto it. But um, one day I'm at the beach with my team. We were at a meet and we went to the beach and they're like, coach, jump in this TikTok with us. They were doing like some dance or whatever. So I jumped in, did a dance and then the video got a bunch of views and they were all happy. And they're like, coach, you got to get on TikTok. So I did, you know, I started putting up family videos and everything. And then, um, and my TikTok started growing based off of that. Just people kind of like seeing my wife and my kids do dances, do dumb stuff or whatever. And then um, the George Floyd thing happened, you know, and that kind of, um, you know, there was a part of me I struggled because I said, you know, just on here to do funny stuff. I don't want to get too serious. But then, you know, it kind of ate at me so much that I was like, you know what, I got to talk about this. And um, when I did, it was funny. I got a new following. I had a following of people that wanted to see the things that I talked about with social justice. And then there were some people on there who were like, hey, I followed you to see your family do funny things. You know, I don't really want to hear you talk about Black Lives Matter. And it was like almost kind of threw me to like, you know, the the tap dancing days or blackface, you know, like I'm here to be your entertainment now. And like, I'm, I, it's good as long as I'm entertaining you. But when I want to talk about serious issues about my community, you want to shut me up, you know. So um, that kind of made me push even more in that direction. And so that's kind of what got me kind of, I guess, to where I am today with, you know, doing a lot of these videos that kind of go around that whole, um, you know, social justice issues in all aspects. <clears throat> So, so let me ask you, um, that whole thing about you doing, uh, the dancing versus talking about your family and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find after the George Floyd incident that you had people that were around you that, that, uh, you learned more about or they changed or anything? Man, you, you, you must have gone through it as well. Um, because, uh, I'll tell you this, um, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana originally, and now I live in a small town in California that's a very, very predominantly white, very conservative town. And, uh, when I started speaking about these things, it, it was hard for people to ignore it because I think they got used to, you know, some of the voices or some of the people they saw on TV, they could easily dismiss them because they didn't like look like them or talk like them or were as successful as they were. But, you know, you have me who went to high school with these people and, and, um, you know, I was one of the top, I was one of the top athletes, one of the top students in that class of all white people. And so they couldn't really ignore my struggle. It was almost like they were saying, man, if Demetrius is saying that, you know, maybe it's true, but there were a lot of people who still did dismiss it. Um, and, and yeah, it changed. I mean, our friend group has changed because of these things. Really? So definitely. Yeah. So, so, so you got George Floyd, you got COVID, mm-hmm. 
and many, mm-hmm. many other um, deaths that we've dealt with um, pertaining to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. It seemed like to me COVID, Black Lives Matter was a perfect storm to just unveil a lot of things that we didn't really know that was going on. Mm-hmm. Or even with friends, I, I've had friends that um, that we don't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. No, we, we don't yeah. really talk anymore. And it's like, uh, but I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad because now I know the truth. Uh, I have mm-hmm. one friend in particular. Uh, he would always talk about us doing some type of business venture together. And he's a white guy. Um, mm-hmm. But it seemed like his opinion about what he couldn't see versus what I see was different. But I didn't understand it being enough to say, like, I just don't want to have nothing to do with you anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with stuff like that, how does that, how does that affect you being the motivational speaker that you are? How do you handle that? I think it, it helps me because I, I honestly believe that people are, are better. Um, I think people are better in one-on-one situations. So it, it does kind of surprise me about your friend, but also I have the same exact experience. Um, I, I think a lot of those friends try to like kind of understand, mm-hmm. but didn't really see the depth of the issue, you know? Right. And so I think as a, as a speaker, I'm going into, I mean, the, the places that ask me to come and speak are, are predominantly white towns that have an all white, you know, th- these are people who right now would be out fighting against like critical race theory. Yeah. But I found ways to go and speak to these kids um, to make it, you know, kind of acceptable for them to have me there mm-hmm. and get my point across Um And, you know, a lot of times I'm talking to them about just like persevering through tough times or, you know, being a better athlete or being a better student. But, um, you know, these kids, this this is the thing people don't understand. And and one of the things I want to I want to make sure people kind of start to understand is that these kids are going to ask questions, whether you guys, whether I say you guys, but whether people try to hide these issues from them or not. So when it's time for me to open up questioning to a sixth and seventh grader, a white kid living in a town who doesn't see black people a lot, they start asking about my struggle. They actually want to know. So you can hide books from them. You can hide television shows from them, but these kids are, they're, they're way more intuitive than we think. And they, and they want to actually learn these things. And so what I'm finding is that, um, it's really the parents, you know, the parents are the ones with the problem. The kids, the kids could be, you know, could be swayed in the right direction by the right people. I, I truly believe. Well, you know, uh, I was telling you earlier in the show, I deal with a lot of kids mm-hmm. and uh, you're right. It's normally not the kids. It's the adults that feed the kids these things. And mm-hmm. with them taking critical race theory out of the classroom or in libraries and stuff like that, it seemed like I'm I'm assuming they think it gives them another weapon to be able to continue to remove. But you can't remove and erase the truth. You know, at some point it's going to come out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and these kids, you know, I've been in a lot of situations um, where I've met kids who literally have never had a black influence in their life at all, you know, and then they get to know me. And, and, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a good speaker, I think, but I'm I'm a good friend. You know what I mean? Like, I I think these kids that, you know, I got videos on my TikTok. If you look back a year or two ago, anytime I go and speak, you know, I talk about being fast and kids are always like, we'll get the fastest kid in the school to race you. You know, I'm like, I'm just telling you, man, I'm going to beat you, but I'm going to put you on TikTok and you're going to be famous because you got beat by an old dude. And, and, and they, they just love it. They eat it up, man. They, they bring out the whole school. They line up and everything. They watch us race. And then this, I had a kid, uh, 
about three years ago in seventh grade that I raced and um, fast kid, like usually like, you know, um, I kind of toy with them a little bit because I still have a pretty good bit of speed for my age, you know. Right. But this kid, man, when I took off, I was like, oh, I got to actually go, you know. Well, this kid um, has stayed in contact with me, found me on Instagram. He'll message me when he's going through some stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk, you know, and I've been able to, to kind of guide this kid through life. And so um, the kid, kids seek it out. They They want to, you know, they don't they just don't see the issues that some adults try to put into their heads. Like they really would rather us just, you know, rather like, 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 let's just be friends. Let's be cool. Let's, let's, let's enjoy life together and stuff, you know? And, and I think, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's so hard because the friends that I've had that have had struggles with this stuff, it's just been, I think it's just convenient for them to be able to live life and not think about it. Yeah. You know, and they just don't want to take it head on. And, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, I, I like you, um, there are friends that I do not have anymore. Mm. Don't talk to them at all, you know, because of this, these types of things. So, yeah, I kind of look at it as if, uh, if you're not a friend now, you probably wasn't a friend then. It just wasn't a situation yeah. to afford me the opportunity to be able to tell. So, you know, I'm yeah. good with that. So you say you're from Louisiana. Where did you go? Did you go to college in Louisiana? No, I grew up in Louisiana. I moved to California when I was 14 years old with my with my mom, my brothers, and my sister. Okay, okay. Uh, I went to college at Fresno State. I, I asked about that. Of course, you know, I was actually I was born in Mississippi. Okay, I went to school at Jackson State. Oh, nice, and, nice. You know, anything Louisiana, I'm thinking Southern every time I hear Louisiana because that was yeah, yeah. I went to a lot of uh, football games back before I moved out here, and um, you know it's funny. I uh, my my athletes will say uh, that I that I, I my southern drawl comes out when I get a little upset at them. They're like, "That's the only time we hear a little country, and you coaches when you get upset. Oh, the rest of the time, you just sound like a Californian." So, but yeah, we try to get back to New Orleans. You know. Um, once a year if we can you know i love the place sometimes my wife and i talk about moving there in retirement or something so we'll see what happens so what what the gas prices we're dealing with now mm-hmm. the economy being as bad as it is you have people that are struggling mm-hmm. what do you tell those people that feel like things keep piling on what, what, what kind of message would you send to them it's so hard. I try to tell people to like take everything. Uh, one thing I one thing I talk about in my classes is that you have to take on issues one at a time. Mm. You have to take things on one at a time. When when I but but if 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 when I talk about financial literacy and financial wellness, mm. we get down and dirty, man. We talk about like you know needs and wants, and we talk about a zero sum budget, you know, and and so like lately I haven't had to um, you know so. COVID has um, kind of caused us to be online for classroom. So I, I'm not in the classroom yet. We should be back in the classroom next semester. Okay. Um, so I haven't had to have the one-on-ones or the conversations with my class as much. A lot of it's happening over Canvas. Right. Um, but I, I just, we, we get down and dirty. We talk about it all. Like, 
there's not a family who isn't struggling a little bit, you know, like these things are causing issues for everyone. But what you have to do is you can't let it defeat you. You know, that's just one of the things I think. I mean, and, and it's and it's easier said than done. Right. I mean, I try to portray that to people like I don't want to stand up here and say, oh, because I might make more money than you. You know, it's easier for me. Like we're all struggling a little bit. So, you know, stress is one of those things where I, I always tell people, you know, 87 percent of the things that we stress over never actually come to fruition. So if, if that's the case, then like most of the time when you start stressing, start asking yourself, like, is this even something to stress over? And then I always ask my students, too, can you remember what was like the big stress in your life a year ago today? And they never can. And I said, just imagine those times when you're sitting at home and you're just worried, worried, worried about something. A year from now, you won't even remember that because it wasn't as big of a thing as you thought it was. But, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, um, you know, we talk about not dwelling on stress, right? And I say sometimes you got to you know, go for a run or go work out or go, go have, you know, you know, get together with your friends. But then I say, you know, but there are some issues that sometimes you got to pay that bill. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if PG&E is due and I say, well, you know what? It's kind of stressful. I'm going to go have a beer with my friends. You know, when I come back, a PG&E statement is still sitting there and it's due. So at the end of the day, some stressors you got to take head on. But then there are some stressors that you can just kind of like, OK, I need to step back for a second and just allow myself to chill. You know, you know, one you know, thing that I like about your um, your method of teaching uh, and even listening to some of your videos you still stick to reality. You don't make people believe that you got to still take care of what you have to take care of. And I, and I like, yeah. I kind of went through a lot of your videos and listened to them. You know, you have some people that have really great videos and, and it's really, um, it's one after another. It's motivating. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of times what I do, I go to the YouTube channel and I like the fact that you, you'll give the motivation, but you still give the raw truth about, okay, this is what you still got to do. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Method of coaching that I, I really like and appreciate, man. You you do a good job with that. Thank you. And I think sometimes, you know, it's hard because, like, um, I have a brother who's very, very smart. And so he, he's um, advised me a lot in some of these things because um, we, we sit on politically on the spectrum. Some areas we differ a little bit. So, like, one of the things I always say is that, while I am going to acknowledge that black people in a lot of situations are in the situations that they're in because of history, I also, when I talk to my athletes, I tell them, hey, listen, here's the deal, man. History sucks. Like if I if I told you guys about my background, you know, my my father was abusive to my mother. We left New Orleans, Louisiana in the middle of the night to move to California to get away from him. And, you know, like life was hard for me. Life was hard for slaves through civil rights movement, through George Floyd and all that. It's hard. I get it. But I was telling one of my athletes one time at the end of the day, one of the things I learned is that in spite of all the problems I have, people want to know if I'm going to be productive. Mm. And so like, and I was telling my brother this and he was just like, nah, I think when you do your videos, you need to stick to the fact that like, it's hard out there and, and, and black people need, you know, either reparations or, or our communities need to be taken care of. And I'm like, listen, bro, I agree with that. But while we're waiting for the cavalry to come, which in my opinion, it's never going to come. But while we're waiting for that, we still got to be persevering. We still got to be working hard. We got to outwork these people that are in the same jobs as us. We got to, you know what I'm saying? We got to get, we got to get to our bag too, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we had to kind of, meet each other where we were on that because 
I don't ever want to have, I, I can't sit in front of my athletes. I, I deal with a lot of minority athletes. I can't sit there in front of them and have just like a pity party mm-hmm. and not tell them at the end of the day, but Hey, at the end of the day, man, you got to pay your rent or your mortgage or, you know, whatever you have do. So while we are fighting for equality, mm-hmm. let's also be out here like, like get into our bag. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's get the degrees that we need. Let's get the job that we need and all that. And at the same time, those things can happen concurrently. You're still fighting for justice, equality, and all those things as well. So, you know, it reminds me of a biblical scripture that I remember reading. You gotta, you gotta, you pray for stuff, but you still gotta work. I mean, it's just not going, it's like, Faith without works is dead. You you don't just pray and say, okay, I want you to do this, and then just sit down and don't do anything. You know, yeah, you know, exactly. I, yep. I appreciate the fact that you, man, I really listen to a lot of your videos. A, a lot of them. I've probably oh, gone through most of them, so I had to wait till some fresh stuff come out. Because <laughs> you, you really have some good stuff, and you get real passionate. One of the things I know you've been passionate about lately has been this gun uh, control situation mm-hmm. we're dealing with in schools. What's your views on that? I mean, you know, it's 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 so crazy because um, I have a lot of friends who are who are gun advocates. You know, they have guns, they shoot guns, they go hunting, they um, do do um, you know competitions and stuff like that. My uncle was a marksman. I've been to his competitions. He was a great shooter and everything. You know, um, but but at the end of the day, like and people say, guns don't kill people. I mean, it's like there's so much. There's so many like, like just like straw man arguments out there and so much deflection out there. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was having a conversation with one of my friends and I said, you don't think there should be any type of gun laws at all. He's like, well, I think there should, but these gun laws just restrict the rights of people of, of law abiding citizens. I'm like, listen, man, if you, if we are saying that, then no law would be worth anything. Every law is going to, you know, like, you know, they, they lock up alcohol in in uh in uh in you know in cages and stuff that inconveniences me because now i gotta call the manager and they gotta come over you know so these people don't want to be inconvenienced like we have kids dying right kids are dying and you don't want to be inconvenienced by a couple extra days Mm -hmm. and so he he finally said to me okay demetrius you're right i'll just surrender all my guns to the government like bro i never said that that is a horrible that is a that's like you just stretch so far just to get out of this conversation when really all I'm saying is, hey, a little bit more stringent background check. Hey, make people wait. I shouldn't be able to be 18 with, a, with in, in a bad mood, go buy a gun and that same day, you know, try to take out my anger on people. Right. Like, so let's have a cooling off period. I mean, these aren't things that like, but but here's the problem. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing a video on this. Um, so. <clears throat> Something that you're going to get first. We're fooling ourselves when we think this is about the Second Amendment and about people's right to hunt and stuff like that. These white nationalists that we are seeing who are always fighting for gun rights Mm -hmm. are not fighting for it for that. These people have been indoctrinated. What they actually believe is that Democrats want to take away their guns Mm -hmm. so that they are defenseless under Democratic rule. This is what they believe. I live in a small white town. There's a smaller white town adjacent from my town. There's a gun shop there. Anytime, and and you'll probably notice too, there's nothing better for the NRA and the gun lobby than a Democrat winning the presidency. Because when a Democrat is in line to win the presidency, they go out there and they say, 
they're going to take your guns. This gun shop in my town, near my town, had lines around the corner for people buying guns and ammo. Many of my friends were like, D, you got to buy guns and ammo. Barack Obama's about to take our guns. How's Barack Obama going to take our guns? Didn't Bill Clinton already do that? Didn't, you know, um, Carter already do it? Like, you guys say that every time. So they play on that. So, you know, I'm sorry, but like we we're fighting the wrong battle and we need to fight this indoctrination. These people really believe, you know, how many times I've had my white friends say, you know what Hitler did first. Right. He took away everyone's guns. They really believe that's why they think that it's like death by a by a thousand pricks or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. That they want to slowly just take away everyone's guns when it's really just like my I have an older brother who was shot and killed. And it was by a gun that was probably put in the streets of Louisiana legally. That's what we want to get rid of. We want to close those loopholes and those gaps and stuff. And if that inconveniences you, I have many friends who are gun guys and they're like, hey, I will I will hand over this AK right now if they ask me to, if that's going to save some lives. But that's but those friends that I have who are like that, they don't feel like the government's trying to take their guns so that they will be defenseless under democratic rule. These people that we see, these oath keepers, these proud boys, these um, reunite the right, all these different groups, they think that a civil war is happening. And unfortunately, I'm starting to believe it is too, because I think they're going to be the ones who start it. You see the things that they're doing right now? Mm -hmm. It's really scary, but I know you wanted to mostly talk no, about guns no, in the classroom, no. but... Cole, um, I just wanted to hear you talk, man. I'm good. <laughs> just, just. But no, the the guns in the classroom is what I was kind of what I kind of got on before because I'm a teacher. My wife's a teacher. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal. That just makes no sense to me. We there are so many resources that we we could have in our classrooms that would lead to safer people. And those resources are one. We need to reach more kids. We're not doing that by having 35 kids in the classroom with one teacher. We're not reaching reaching enough kids. Kids are getting left behind. So we need to change that class size reduction. Let's have 16 to 20 kids in there and let's put an aid in every class with that teacher so that that teacher and those in that aid can reach more of those students. Mm -hmm. Let's have counselors and behavioral therapists in every school that can identify these kids. These kids, when anytime someone goes and shoots up a place, what is the first thing people say? Oh man, yeah, he was a disturbed kid. If if you, it, it's sad, but right now, if you told me to make a list of friends that I've had in the past, who if 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 I were to find out they went and shot something up, would I would I be surprised? We all could do that. We all could make a list of either people we went to school with, people in our community, people we were friends with, and it's because nobody's reaching those people. Like if there was a, a counselor to talk to with these students and kind of get them on the right path and get them connected to the school in some kind of way, a club, a sport, something, so that they start to respect their teachers, their counselors, their students, their their classmates. We don't do that. We want to give people guns when there's, my wife and I, we, I'm not, like I made a video about this. I am not kidding you. The amount of money we spend on our classes and our athletes out of our pocket that we don't ever expect to get back, right. yet you want to give me a gun and some bullets? Come on, man. Like, there's so much more we can do. And so that bothers me the most. And then, you know, I also talked about this. I'm a black man. I've been teaching at my college for 17 years. Okay. Five years ago, I called campus security. Our, a campus security guy was driving by late at night after I just dropped off my team. I locked my um, my car charger in the van. 
I wave this campus security man down. He drives away from me. He sits about maybe 50 meters away from me. I start running toward him like, hey, 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 hey. He speeds off. He finally comes back later with another campus security guy. They come up. The campus, the, the, the second guy gets out of the car and goes, that's Coach D. You don't know him? And the guy's like, I didn't know who he was. I said, dude, you ran from me two times. He's like, well, I didn't know who you were. You're campus security, though. You're campus security. So if you think, if my campus security don't know who I am and they're running from me, you think I want to be running around with a loaded gun yeah. in plain clothes when police show up looking for an active shooter? No. No. Oh, wow. I would not advise any teacher to do that. No chance, especially young black teachers. No way. Coach. Um, so I believe that, I believe that there is a race war, some type of war that they hoping can get started. But I'm going to tell you one of the ways that I think is, that could probably resolve that, that we've seen before. Okay. Remember mm-hmm. when nine 11 happened, that first mm-hmm. week, everybody was kumbaya, shaking hands, holding doors, really nice. Mm-hmm. The climate was really smooth and, Mm-hmm. felt better. It seems like when we're in a situation where everything is taken away from us or that we're about to really be harmed for some mm-hmm. reason, even the worst of the worst tend to want to come together. And mm-hmm. what I think is going to happen is is it's like the weather right now so hot. We, we're going to start in my mind start you and I are used to the hot weather. We're used to planting the garden. Mm-hmm. We're familiar with mm-hmm. it. But there are a group of people that don't know those survival skills, and they are now going to, this is going to age both of us, going to the encyclopedia to try to learn how to survive. But it's nature, just what we do. And so it's like, I got a feeling that this country, and this is awful, the hate and the racism is going to drive this country to a third world country. And Hmm. it's going to be the only thing that at some point that will probably pull us more together. Now, people are thinking, it's gonna be so bad that there's gonna be little, little, little tribes here, little tribes there, pockets of people mm-hmm. trying to say their food. It's not gonna be like mm-hmm. that in my mind. I think mm-hmm. it's gonna to be to the point where the survival skills of just trying to live every day is mm-hmm. gonna be a challenge for even the best of them with money because it's bad uh, to have to wake up in the morning. You, you, there's droughts everywhere. There's mm-hmm. uh, food shortages in certain places. The heat is bad. The power grids are going down. Mm-hmm. Having a gun is not going to do you any good. No. Having a whole bunch of money is not going to help you eat. Then you're going to have to start going to Coach D. Hey, Coach D, listen, what do we do for food? Oh, no problem. I know yeah. what to do. You know what I'm saying? And then that yeah. Yeah. that you, that that seemed to be the only thing in my mind that's going to change this country. I, I don't think it's going to be or where we shooting each other. I, I think it's going to be the natural disasters that we're starting to face. That's yeah. going to have to pull us together like it has when we've had these hurricanes in different places and natural disasters in different places. Then, for some reason, the community pulls together. It's always the worst of worst brings out the best of everything. Yeah. It's what I'm, it's I, I can see that. I can see that. I, I feel like, too, um, I don't know. I feel like our politicians... Got to tone down the rhetoric a little bit. I feel like there's just, it's just too much, um, you know, they, they all paint each other to be crazy. And, and, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I I think the people that seem like they would follow Donald Trump, like off a ledge easily. I think those people have issues. I, I don't know how we can save them. 
But I think that these politicians themselves could tone it down a little bit and start actually coming to the table unified and say, listen, there are some things where we meet each other halfway and we can actually have some, you know, I, I don't think the problem, I think, is that like there are some issues that are never going to um, they're never going to see eye to eye. in, right. And I don't know how we can we can rectify that, really. But. Um, I just, I don't know. I feel like they have, they have stepped full into what, you know, the, the things that, that some of these politicians say, mm-hmm. you used to have to go into chat rooms to hear weird people who sit in their basements say. Right. Now we have Lauren Bulbert saying it out loud at a podium to people and people are cheering it on, you know. We have Marjorie Taylor Greene who says things that you're like, man, this person is an elected official. Like, no. <clears throat> the sad part about that is I don't know if Marjorie Green Taylor, um, some of these other people that I don't know if they realize there's kids that are related to them. That mm-hmm. one day they're going to read the history book about what your mother, your aunt. Is that what you really want to leave as no. not a legacy, but a legacy, uh, nevertheless? That Marjorie mm-hmm. Green Taylor was just really that evil, and then that's your daughter that's listening to you. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to outlive your daughter. Not if your daughter is as young as I'm assuming she probably is if you have kids. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. it's like, I don't know if they, I, Mitch McConnell and the rest of them, it's like they are so selfish with their hate that they don't realize that the hate they have is impacting their own family. And they don't see the long, they don't see yeah. tomorrow. They just see, I just hurt Alvin, or I just hurt D, and I just, I, I just see Mark wanting to call him for me. But if you happen to have uh, something that takes your life and you leave here, Marjorie Green Taylor, or, or your kids are going to have to read about you. And who wants to sit in a class reading a history book and find out their mother was that evil, or their father or, or uncle was that evil? I don't think they're thinking about that. If I could talk to Marjorie Green Taylor, I would say, Marjorie, I know you have a hate for me because you, for whatever reason. But my mm-hmm. question to you is, your five-year-old daughter, when you're gone in whatever time, do you really want your five-year-old daughter to read a book understand the truth and find out her mother was just that evil. That's, that's yeah. what I always think about. It's, it's crazy too, because I was watching Tim uh, Scott the other day, Ugh. watching him talk about minimum wage. And he, and he's literally sitting there trying to convince people that raising the minimum wage would be bad because it's good because businesses would close. And I'm thinking, bro, do you realize how many people, and then First of all, do you realize how many people would just love for you to raise the minimum wage so they could have the chance to make more money and maybe get their own place or maybe, you know, be able to take a vacation sometime? Mm-hmm. But then he pointed out how most people on minimum wage are, um, are, are food and beverage workers. And so they get tips. So they're, they're getting tips that push them above the minimum wage. So now you're going to take away their tips. And I said, you know, one of the problems I have with the whole tip industry is that, I tip people now most of the time because I know they don't make enough money because I know they're being cheated. So we're allowing corporations that have a lot of money to treat their workers like sweatshop workers knowing and and, and they put it on us. So and this is this is something that. um, Politicians have done great. They, They have they have done such a good job of this. They have made. Me and my neighbor fight fight each other for their well being, for their best interest. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you take a person who's in the restaurant eating, who's going to tip the waitress and you take a person who is the waitress, they're way closer to each other than either of them are to a politician. Right. But I will argue with the waitress over how much I should be tipping them when we both should actually be arguing with the company over how much they should be paying that waitress instead of us arguing over how much we should be tipping. Mm-hmm. I should be tipping based off of the good service that I get, but that should be above and beyond what they're already making. They should be making mm-hmm. a good living for working at that restaurant. But who's making the money at the restaurant? The owner. That's the only person making real money is the owner. Corporate Unless people are walking in there giving the $1,000 tip every time. Other than that, those people are struggling every day because we argue over how much we should be tipping rather than how much they should be getting paid. It's really crazy. And, and politicians and rich people have done a good job of making middle class and lower middle class people argue with each other for their best interests. It's crazy. They, they've created the formula for crabs in a barrel on their own. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. Coach, I can yep. already see you and I can just talk for a whole hour. <laughs> I know. I, I have to, I want to invite you back again, like na- let you know that I want to definitely have you come back. Uh, talk mm-hmm. to us. And uh, I, I just really, I like your views and I think people need to hear it because you, you have such great views on things. And uh, I, I just really want you to come back and I appreciate you so much for taking the time out. I, that time zone thing, I'm sorry about that. I was like, it's all good. This time thing, all, all those. But you know, we in Atlanta, and you're always welcome to come to Atlanta. Come right here in the studio. We got a production kitchen and everything. We'll cook for you and everything. So if you ever in Atlanta, just come on. Man, you, I was in Atlanta last summer, and you're the second person since I've been there who has now told me, "Man, if you ever in Atlanta, man, I wish I would have known this last summer because I was just there. And my daughter played basketball at a basketball tournament there. Okay, well, we were there for five days. You, you can come back again. We still here. Yeah, we will. We will, man. We will for sure. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Can you give people your um, social media so they can reach out to you if you know you do public speaking or how they can get in contact with you? Yeah, at Coach D underscore speaks on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and and, uh, YouTube. Okay. All right, y'all make sure y'all share, follow, and and like this video. And uh, please go to Coach's TikTok. They give him three minutes and you utilize those time so well especially thank you i appreciate such it such a good job you be passionate about it y'all yeah. <laughs> appreciate it i really do thank you so much man thank y'all for watching trying success on the old-fashioned health network good health inside and out we out